to you from Craftsbury, Vermont, uh, from our 1850s farmhouse home, um, from my business, Mountain Hollow Medicinals. Today is a special episode. I'm going to dive deep into my own personal journey with spirits and clairvoyance and psychic abilities and mediumship since the age of three years old when it all began for me and I had my first experience with visiting a loved one who had passed on. I have so many (laughs) of these stories and experiences to share that I'm gonna, I've done my best to sort of outline the ones that are most fascinating, most interesting, um, with some actual real life, um, experience too to sort of solidify uh, what I saw um, and what was shown to me. So I'm really looking forward to this and in honor of Samhain and All Hallows Eve and the Witch's New Year. I just felt like this was a perfect time to do this and just finally share this part of myself that's been with me since I was a very, very young child. So lucid, so vivid, so alive in my mind and in my spirit, and has really guided me throughout my life, really solidifying the knowing that there is more, so much more than just this place that we're in now in the living world, and that death is never the end, it's just a transition. And, you know, my children and I call it the spirit world on the other side, and that even our little pets, our loving pets, are, they're just in the spirit world, and we can visit them in our dreams if we want to, um, and sometimes our grief and emotions get in the way, and once that sort of subsides over the years, we can reconnect. Um, so it's been a huge part of my life. And it still is, and it's still part of my work as a practitioner and a teacher in the healing arts. Um, And I am so honored to be able to share this with you in this way. So, without further ado, (laughs) I'm going to let you dive in. Okay, so... Let's get started, shall we? (laughs) So let me just first talk about my family just a little bit, just to preface um, why, you know, I am the way I am and what kind of uh, abilities and uniquenesses weave together to to create me. My family is made up of a very diverse uh, and large group of um, very interesting people, all with their own sort of unique abilities um, and unique challenges and difficulties. But all in all, the majority of my mother's side of the family, all of my aunts and my uncles uh, and many of my cousins have an, these natural abilities of psychic mediumship or um, are lucid dreamers. You know, they're psychics in the dream world. Um, they're witches, they're uh, healers, practitioners of all sorts. Um, and that goes back to 
quite a few um, historical cultures, including um, uh, Celtic, and my grandfather's side in particular goes back to Scotland. Um, his paternal side uh, goes directly back to um, Scottish Highlanders, um, the McKinnon clan or the Mackinnon clan, which I have um, distant cousins who have done an incredible amount of research on this and found so much information for us and um, close cousins who are still working on information as well. Um, it's really fascinating on how that particular line in my family comes from a place on earth that is full of magic, mystery, folklore, um, witches, healers, um, ceremonies. Um, it's, it's a very, very powerful part of my lineage. Um, and there's also... Um, his wife, my grandmother, was Irish, my mother's mother, um, and my grandfather's mother was French, um, but her lineage, interestingly, goes back to um, what looks like Morocco um, and some Latin uh, areas of the world. Um, so there's this, this, just on that one side alone, there's this really powerful combination of um, culture and history um, and a lot of magic. And my grandfather, I spent a lot uh, more time with my mother's side than my father's side as a child, as my parents split when I was very young, I'd say around five years old. Um, and off and on, I lived with my grandfather, my mother's father. And he was a really spiritual man. He um, practiced uh, Roman Catholic religion, um, but he was also this kind of mystic, um, this, this man who had prophetic dreams. Um, he heard prophetic voices. He um, had these deep, incredible experiences. And I feel really blessed that I spent the time that I did with him as a young child, um, you know, starting in elementary school and up into my early teenage years, I spent lots of time with him, living with him on and off in different places um, as my mother and I really moved around from place to place to place um, in the same city, which is a very large city in southern New Hampshire. Um, so he shared with me a lot of information, a lot of experiences he had, even even experiences that seemed really far out there to me. But I just remember listening to him and um, feeling something, you know, feeling something drawing me to this information. And I didn't quite understand, you know, what that was, but I had already had some of my own experiences starting at the age of three. So I, I just intuitively and instinctively knew that there was something else, something other, you know, um, and there was always something that really pulled me to it. So, um, I have many aunts and I have a sister and I have, uh, female cousins who are, you know, I grew up around tarot cards and glasses of red wine and, and red nails and witchy, st you know, just witchy stuff. And I loved it. It was sometimes really intense. Uh, sometimes really fun. 
was just an interesting thing to lean on. I found myself leaning on the wisdom in these, you know, tarot cards or these little ceremonies or these um, vision, you know, visions or meditations that I was taught by my aunts uh, and my sister um, in times of need. Uh, And it just weaved into my life and became a big part of me and part of my teaching as well. So um, when I was very little, um, I lived with both my parents at the time. This was around the age of three years old. Um, And this is more about my father's side, which is really interesting. You know, I don't know too, too much about the lineage, you know, going too far back on my father's side. I know that um, my father's side splits evenly. Um, My grandfather's from Portugal and my grandmother's uh, Polish. Um, Not 100% sure if she has anything other than Polish in her. I think both my great-grandparents were Polish as well. Um, So I don't know, I don't have a lot of access to, you know, the culture and the history there, but... um, I do feel it sometimes, you know, in my daily life, in my cooking, in my gardening, and in my working with the land. Um, It just comes forth, which is really interesting as well. You know, how we can be kind of separated um, in a way from um, cultural knowing uh, or understanding of our ancestors, yet be still connected and still able to bring things forth. And that's always fascinated me and piqued my interest throughout my life. So um, this story of when I was three years old is about my great-grandfather on my father's side. Um, And I don't remember him because I was so little, right? I mean, I do, but it's very, very vague. But both my parents um, can tell me stories and have told me stories about him and that um, he had an affinity for me as a young kiddo and a little one, and um, there was something about our relationship that was important, Um, and he he just kind of lit up whenever I was around, is kind of essentially the the thing. And my father has this really fun story um, that he's told me a few times when I was really little and in the crib, and I was crying and crying and crying and you know my parents tried to console me nothing was really working and um my great-grandfather and maybe his wife too I don't I'm not I don't remember um came to visit during that moment in time and um they just couldn't figure out how to get me to stop crying and so my great-grandfather came over to my crib picked me up flipped me around one way flipped me around another way and then put me back down and I stopped crying (laughs) And I thought that was really interesting. I can't help but wonder if that's a cultural thing, something he knew um, from his ancestors that uh, we didn't know. But I also feel like in a lot of ceremonies that I've done in the past, uh, there's this one little method you can use to sort of reset something. And what you do is you walk counterclockwise like a few times or you turn counterclockwise like three times and then you turn back clockwise again three times. Um, And that flipping he did reminds me of that method of like resetting something, like the energy's not right in something or something's off. Um, So that story is really fun. But 
what I'm getting to is um, my great-grandfather passed when I was around three years old. And I do have a vivid memory of being in my father's arms, um, kind of perched on his right side with my mother standing to his left, while we all sort of gazed down at his casket. And I do remember seeing him laying in there and wondering if he was going to wake up. And that was it. Um, but in the next few nights, somewhere that during that week, uh, I can't quite grasp how long um, his visit was from that moment in the casket to the dream that I had. My first vivid, lucid dream of someone who was in the spirit world was from him. And what it was, was I was in the dream, just standing on a sidewalk in a neighborhood, you know, I still don't quite recognize, but if I had to match it up with something, I would say it was in his neighborhood where he lived, which was this sort of, you know, suburban area or road of just small, um, cute little houses. Um, cause that's what it looked like. They weren't big houses. They were just small little houses down one straight road, um, and I was on the sidewalk, and he stood across from me, and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and we smiled, and he gave me a big wave with his left hand, and I waved back, and that was it. And I remember being, again, feeling that draw, you know, what is this? How can this be? You know, what does this mean? How does this happen? But again, I was such a little person that I just, I took that with me. And even though I was small, I really um, brought it into my body fully because the memory is so clear, even to this day. Um, so that was a beautiful gift. And my first ever experience with a spirit and that it's possible to communicate even in the simplest way. And it was probably easy for him to communicate with me because being so little, you know, the the emotion of grief hadn't quite yet come to me being such a tiny person. Um, and I think that a lot of grief and emotion actually can typically make it difficult for us to communicate with our loved ones because it's just such a strong charge. Um, and I've experienced that too, and I'll talk about that uh, in a few, but... Once that dissipates and calms, then we gain the ability to sit in that moment in the lucid dream or in the visitation um, and not want to burst into tears and wake yourself up, you know? Um, so I think it was easier for him to communicate with me. Um, so as a young girl from then on out, Things happen to me on and off quite regularly. And like I said before, you know, my mother and I, when my parents split when I was five, and my mother and I moved all over the place. Um, as a single mom, you know, my mother had a difficult time, you know, keeping up with everything. And sometimes we were evicted. Sometimes it just wasn't a healthy place to be. And sometimes there was a better place to go to. So. I moved around a lot. I went to five different elementary schools. I went to uh, two different um, junior high schools and then two high schools. <laughs> uh, 
So it was quite an eventful childhood. Um, so there was this a point where, you know, maybe seven, eight, nine years old, where we moved in with my grandfather and my grandmother. Um, and my mother worked long hours and late nights, so I didn't see her much. But I did. this was the time where I really got to spend a lot of time with my grandfather. And I learned a lot about um, spirituality, you know. And um, sometimes one of my aunts would come visit from California or Arizona, the two places she lived. And she was also a very spiritual person. And she would come. And when she did visit, she would teach me how to essentially uh, do shamanic journeys on my own. But um, she called them, you know, like uh, meditations or, um, you know, visions. And they were very angelic and very soothing and healing. And I was a very anxious child under a lot of stress, typically. So that was always a really powerful thing for me to practice. So we lived in this big, actually really nice trailer park um, in southern New Hampshire. And it was mostly for elderly folks. So they all had big yards and there was some trees and forest around and there was um, like a, a big park in the middle and it was huge. So you could drive around for a while and still be in the park. Um, there was a lot that happened in that trailer for me uh, in terms of seeing spirits. There was a young girl, um, and I didn't know actually that she was, um, or that the spirit was a young girl until later on, because um, I was still able to connect with that place, um, even as a teenager and a young adult. So I would still dream and communicate with that place, because these few years of my life um, were just important in kind of the the first solid years of having somewhere stable to live, and having more support there besides my mother. So my grandfather always cooked for me, you know, things like that, these basic things. But I always heard noises. Um, I always had this strong sensation of feeling in the hallway, especially coming from the laundry room, which was like uh, halfway down the hallway. So it was this long hall with all the bedrooms and the main bedroom at the end. Um, and in the middle was the laundry room. And there's just this really strong <laughs> sensation from that part of the um, house and I would never walk down the hallway. I would always run because I felt like if I went too slow, I would either see what it was and I didn't want to, or I would get like touched or zapped or something, you know, um, it was really uncomfortable. It was also volatile. And I remember the first time I was left home alone just for like 20 minutes or half an hour or something. Um, after my grandparents left, there was this, I was sitting on in the living room um, on the big old chair, just watching some TV, no big deal. And uh, there was this loud banging from the, the washing room, the, the laundry room. It was sounded like something was hitting one of the machines. And I just froze and I knew that it was whatever the spirit was, but I really didn't want to be involved with that energy. There was something about it that frightened me. Um, and so I completely froze and it was just dead still and dead silent. The t I had turned the TV off 
and I waited as long as I could and then I finally was able to move my body because I was like totally in fear um jumped out of the chair ran straight to the front door booked it out of the house as fast as I could and over to the neighbors and just told them that I was a little freaked out and needed some help um and a lot of things happened um in that house and I was blessed enough to be there for my grandfather, um, not my grandfather, my grandmother's passing into the spirit world. Um, she was young. She was only in her mid-60s, but had um, I think she had cancer. She had a number of things that just kind of took over, um, and she declined pretty quickly um, this one year. And I remember just being around, you know, um, the nurses would come and all the changes that had happened and watching her, you know, just decline. And I was just there, um, kind of keeping out of the way and um, just being quiet. And as it got closer to her death, um, some things would happen. One time she'd gotten out of bed when she wasn't supposed to and she fell. And that was scary, I think, for my aunts and my grandfather. And they were putting her back into bed and someone said to her why did you do that and she said Charlotte made me do it and I knew what she meant (laughs) I'm not sure anyone was really listening because she was you know kind of out of it and um, I think it was difficult for everyone to believe what she was saying but for me I immediately knew and um, during the time she was ill she would a lot of the times stay out in the living room in her easy chair and sleep there and my grandfather would stay nearby so I started sleeping in her bed um and sometimes at night I would wake up and see a figure standing next to um the bed you know in the direction of me very still um and it scared me so much I would just sneak under the blankets cover my whole body and just try to get back to sleep and just um you know recite an 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 angel prayer that my grandfather taught me when I was a kid to he actually taught to me to get to sleep easier he said if I just kept repeating it I'd fall asleep and I always did um but it's a it's a mantra to call in the angels um, to come and support you so I would recite that and then finally go to sleep and wake up to a regular morning so it's kind of a really charged place to be Um, and the best memory I have of once again witnessing a loved one in the afterlife and the peacefulness of it was when my grandmother I don't know why I keep saying grandfather my grandmother finally passed Um, and Right up to the moment, I think it was in the wee hours of the morning or something like that, because I was in bed. And what I thought was my mother came into the room and woke me up. And I distinctly remember her face. And, you know, I I had had the story in my mind that my mother came to woke me to, to tell me that my you know grandmother was passing. It was time to get up to say goodbye. And her, I remember the details, her eyes were red and puffy, you know, she was very emotional. And so I did exactly what she said. And I just got out of bed. And I went right into the living room. And there were people around. I can't remember which, who, which family members were there. But um, 
I crouch down next to her and I watched her for a minute and I said, goodbye, Grandma. And I remember she was kind of muttering some things. Um, it's like she was talking to people or something she could see. And then she took her last breath and um, I remember the nurse checking her and calling it. Um, and that night, when I went to bed, I had the most incredible dream of her. And it was so lucid. I knew what I was seeing was real. And how and why I was invited or allowed and able to see what I was seeing, I still wasn't sure. But in the dream, I felt something. I didn't hear anything. I didn't see anything. I felt something and I woke up and I looked out the back window um, to the backyard and I saw this woman in this long white dress and her hair was pretty long, kind of like mine and dark. And she was like dancing, but she was also like floating, dancing, just grazing the ground and her arms were moving and she had this serene look on her face and she was just so happy and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So I got out of bed and I'm still dreaming and I go down the hall and go out the side door onto the patio and make my way to the backyard and I come close enough that I can really see her again. And she's doing the same thing. She's gliding. She's like humming a little bit. She was so beautiful. And I mean, the, the peace was just so expansive. The feeling in the dream, I was just awestruck. And she spotted me. Um, and she glided over towards me and she wrapped her arms around me and gave me a great big hug. And I knew it was her. I knew it was my grandmother, and that was it. And to this day, I'm so grateful for that experience as a child, um, because I, unfortunately, I don't feel like there's a lot of children in the world that get these these kind of positive experience with death. You know, um, lots of tragic things happen. You know, and lots of grown-ups have their own difficulty processing emotions. Never mind trying to help their children or a child try, right? Um, and I don't remember any, you know, I remember watching my grandfather in pain. I remember seeing, you know, everyone mourning. Um, I don't particularly <clears throat> recall anyone sitting down with me or talking. I just had my own experience. Um, but I wasn't afraid of death. Um, and, and I'm still not. And I think that these experiences have supported me releasing that fear if I ever had it, you know, um, and just seeing how we transform and how we release and how we become free is incredibly powerful, um, and mind blowing. Um, and so fascinating. It's just, it's the thing that excites me in life, you know, is to have these experiences. So, um, turns out my mother didn't actually wake me up. Um, later on in life, I had the opportunity to rehash that experience with my mom and we couldn't believe it. She said, I never left my mother's side. That was absolutely not me. Like nobody really left my grandmother's side because of course they knew she was, it was going to happen at any moment. 
So I don't know <laughs> who woke me up. It really looked like my mother. And knowing my mother, um, it could have very well been like a projection she created to, you know, in her mind was so strong. She really wanted to wake me up, but also could not leave her mother's side. Um, I have no doubt that that was a projection that she sent to me, you know, wake up, Diana. And it worked. <laughs> Because that's, that's the gifts in my family, um, is these, you know, really deeply spiritual abilities and experiences, um, and powerful manifestations. It's very interesting. So, I'll continue. <laughs> um, but as you can see so far, uh, these experiences have been only a gift for me um, and have only up until this point anyway have helped me tuned in deeper to you know my abilities um, as someone with sight uh, someone who can see the unseen um, or the things that lie just below the conscious self or the things that lie just below the surface um, so, you know, continuing on with this influence from my grandfather was really powerful. He, um, he read a lot of books by Edgar Case, um, who is, he lived from 1877 to 1945. He was, um, called the sleeping prophet or the father of holistic medicine, um, and a lot of his books documented uh, his psychic abilities and uh, the things he offered to people um, for most of the 20th century. For more than 40 years of Edgar Cayce's life, he gave um, a kind of psychic reading um, to thousands of people um, while he was in an unconscious state. A lot of his dreams um, diagnosed illnesses, um, and luckily there's documentation of this, and a lot of his books um, are written that way. Um, so this isn't just coming, you know, from him, it's coming from people around him who are able to document this. Um, so he, and in his dreams, he also had prophetic dreams. Um, he's a really interesting man, and my, my grandfather read a lot of his books he learned a lot more about his prophetic dreams through Edgar Cayce's writings um, and the things that he offered and uh, research he offered in his books, too. And I have a few of them. And I'll put some links to uh, Edgar Cayce's books in the show notes. Um, but really fascinating man and also interesting how... Um, and this always comes up for me is to see not just a man, but also he was a religious man. <clears throat> um, and I can't remember the name of the religion he practiced. I'm not seeing it in the paper in front of me, um, but you can read about him. But even though, you know, he was in a religious practice at the time uh, in the 20th century, he was, you know, taken so seriously. Um you know, and I feel like in history, you know, witches did this same work, <laughs> right? We did the same work, um, but women were uh, punished um, and beyond for doing the same kind of thing. So that always comes up for me as kind of a 
a feeling in my chest of, of, you know, just this question of why, but, um, beyond that, the fact that his work is documented in the way it is is super important and really helpful. And I, I do highly recommend, um, he has a book called dreams, your magic mirror. And that's the one my grandfather had. Um, and we still have my grandfather's book and he marked it all up and he wrote his notes in it. So sometimes I go back to that book and I look at it and I say, oh, okay. You know, my grandfather really helped teach me how to decipher dreams in like a logical way or a practical way. Um, and see that, you know, symbolism and some things you see actually don't always mean they don't have like a literal meaning for what you see, you know, like, um, if you're driving a car, it has a meaning around being, you know, in control of your journey. Are you in control of your journey? If you're in the passenger seat, maybe you're not. Um, so little things like that, um, working with my grandfather really helped me hone in on looking at my own dreams and deciphering the ones that are simple, simple subconscious messages to let me know where I'm at in my life or, you know, where my emotions are at. In particular, water. If you're looking at a body of water, if it's serene and calm, you feel serene and calm. That's a reflection of your emotional state. Typically, water symbolizes emotion. So if you're in a dream and there's rough seas, rough water, you've got some anxiety probably going on or some emotional stuff coming up. If there's a tidal wave, something big is happening, right? Maybe you feel like something is happening that you can't control and you're just flooded with uh, intense amount of emotion. So um, being able to do that can really help check in with where you're at in your life. These are, you know, your dreams are always messages to yourself. Um, and I could go on and on about that, but I feel like that's for a separate podcast <laughs> episode. Um, so all the places that I've lived and moved in when my mother and I moved around, if there were spirits lingering in those places, uh, typically they were apartments or really old buildings that were um, renovated into apartments, I would see them. Um, so, and what I want to do here, and I, I, I've picked out specific stories and left out some of the dark stuff. <laughs> Not because um, it's unsafe for me to share um, or it isn't a learning experience, because it is. I just... Um, I feel like that's another big topic that I would want to go deeper into. Um, and I'm still a student of um, working with, you know, the darker things in this world. And um, I don't feel ready to, you know, there's a lot I can say and there's a lot I can support people with 100%. Um, but I also don't want to seed fear into anyone because I don't think that that's necessary. Um, and I don't think that that's helpful to any practitioner or healer out there. I think that you need uh, fearlessness, the strength, and knowing um, 
that you can't, that you're just not going to be messed with. It's not, per, you're not permeable, you know, like this is, your energy's bigger, your energy's brighter, right? Um, so there's, there's one story that I'm going to get to now that is, was around Manchester, New Hampshire, and I'm pinpointing that area um, because I, as a kid, I always felt a really intense energy um, in that city, and it was always really uncomfortable and um, fairly dark. I just, I felt really, <laughs> you know, both my mother and I uh, felt um, like we didn't want to go there. But anyway, there was a time where my mom was a nanny for a short time in her career, and she nannied a few children for these really wonderful folks um, who had this really beautiful house in Manchester, New Hampshire. It was like an old Victorian. It was very unique, really beautiful. They were they were wonderful people and this really nice family. And a lot of times I would tag along with my mom. You know, I was I was a very early, you know, maybe 11 years old or something like that. And um, we would go to this house and the kids were great. They had this little newborn and... Um, he would cry all the time. He just couldn't settle. And I was young and strong and I had lots of energy. So I carried him around a lot and I worked really hard to soothe him. And a lot of times I could, but it took a long time uh, and a lot of, you know, uh, strength in my arms and uh, patience. And um, I didn't really understand why until one day I was in the kitchen at the um, at the dining room table, and all of a sudden, out of the left corner of my eye, I saw this huge fire on the stove. It was so clear that I jumped back and I yelled, "Mom!" <laughs> I thought that there was a fire, um, but the second I did that and called for her and looked, it was gone. And I stood there for a few seconds, like totally stunned, like how did that just happen? You know, how's that possible? Um, and then I, I said, you know, never mind. I think I thought I saw something. I'm sorry. And I remember, um, going down the basement, there was a TV there. I used to kind of escape and go down there sometimes. And, um, I really felt uncomfortable down there too. And I, I couldn't sit there long and I'd run up the stairs. And so this one night we, um, had to stay overnight for whatever reason, with the kids. And I slept in this separate room that didn't really have a bed, but I, I put some padding down and some um, blankets and sleeping bags, and I was fine. And during the night, I heard a lot of voices. And I was, like, in my sleeping bag, like, hiding for my life. <laughs> I was so scared. They were all male voices, and they were pretty strong. Um, and when I did take a minute to creep out of my sleeping bag with my eyes open and it was pretty dark I saw a lot of colors in the room the room was filled with colors and these voices were really strong and there was just nothing about it that felt comfortable for me so I just continued to hide and I got through the night we got through the day we packed up we headed home about a night or two later uh, after we were home back in our our apartment um I had this dream that I was back in that house and I had that feeling again, that really uncomfortable feeling. Like I couldn't see what it was, but something was wrong. 
and I was walking up the main stairway to go upstairs to the bedrooms. Really slowly and really cautiously in the dream, I knew that I was going to see, because this is what happens to me, if I don't see it in the daytime, but I feel it, it will come to me clearly uh, in my dreams. And so I got to the top of the stairs, and right across from there is the main bedroom where the parents sleep. And I could look through the doorway and see them in bed, sleeping soundly. And on the bottom of their bed was a chest, and standing on the chest was this, like, little creature. I don't know what it was. And it was watching them sleep. And um, I stood really still and tried to remain really calm. I was super uncomfortable. And it turned around... (laughs) And looked at me and gave me this shit evil grin. And I had like this rush of panic move up my body and I woke myself up. And I had to go wake my mom up uh, really early when I woke up. And I shook her awake and I was absolutely terrified and mortified. And I didn't know what it was. But I never went back to that house again. And, you know, at this point I can think about it and say... That could just be um, a projection of the bad energy in that place. Um, I'm not sure, honestly, if I believe in like demons and all of those things that people talk about in in different religions and cultures around the world. Um, It's possible, but I'm not sure I want to give that energy to it. You know, I don't like to um, give my belief over to things that cause harm. Um... But I also thought that it could simply be like a manifestation of something toxic in their ancestral line or one of their ancestral lines or, you know, the house was old and maybe someone had opened something in that house, you know, many, many years back and created a pocket of inharmonious energy. Um, I knew that it wasn't going to hurt them, but I also knew that that energetic being could make them really sick. And then I realized that that's probably why the baby cries and that's why they were having so much trouble with this little baby um, who was clearly unsettled uh, in a a lot of ways. Um, So I was only like 11 (laughs) when I experienced that and it was horrifying and that was probably my first really rough experience um, being a spirit, the spiritual person that I am and having this sight that maybe I don't always want, right? I don't always want to see these things, but they just happen. Um, and I've had, you know, quick visits from spirits, you know, um, and never saw them again. So, you know, what does that mean? Well, maybe I don't need to know about them being there. Maybe they're visiting. Maybe it's none of my business. Maybe they just show up to help. Um, I remember being a teenager in the first apartment I moved to Vermont and um, I had lit all my candles in my bedroom. I was trying to relax. I was like 15 years old and I was just trying to chill and I was laid down in bed with all my candles on and I had quite a few like five or six lit and I was just taking a moment to relax but I fell asleep which obviously is dangerous with candles on right? And just as I had fallen asleep, there was a woman standing over my bed and she leaned over and I only saw her dark silhouette. I couldn't make out any details. She had kind of nice short curly hair and just a shirt on and she leaned over and just tapped me on the shoulder twice and it jolted me awake and I sat up in bed and saw that my candles were still lit and I just said, thanks. (laughs) 
um, all kinds of experiences like that as a teenager, um, some uglier than others. Um, that one I particularly like. It felt like a sweet motherly thing that uh, she did for me. Um, there's so much more I can say here. I'm already 40 minutes in, so we'll see. Um, maybe I'll add another section to this because I am enjoying telling these stories. Um, the last apartment I lived in, in uh, the big city that I grew up and moved around in, in New Hampshire, uh, was in the oldest part of the city, I believe. And there's all kinds of big Victorians. Um, probably they were farms at some point. Um, it was a really pretty part of the, the city itself. But anyway, it was this really nice family that we loved. We still love. We're still in touch with them. Um, this huge uh, colonial house uh, in the back of it and then to the right of it, like the back went straight back and then it made an L shape, which and the L part of it was probably the barn originally. But the back of the colonial was uh, converted into apartments as well as the barn. So my mother and I lived in the barn in the upper part, just in the small two bedroom, simple apartment. Um, and it was a comforting place. Um, I enjoyed it there, you know, really good people. And But I started seeing these spirits regularly. And um, there was a black woman and her child, and they just kept appearing. And I wasn't quite sure what was happening, but the more and more I dreamt of them, the more I realized they were trying to get my attention. They were really... Uh, like loving energy. I didn't feel scared. I was just surprised. Uh, again, I was probably 14, 13, 14. Um, I didn't quite know what to make of it at first. I would have dreams of seeing um, this beautiful black woman and uh, she was dressed in older clothes um, and she would just look at me and smile. And then I would have a dream that I was taking my laundry downstairs because I'd have to go out my front door to do my laundry and go down the stairs and I'd open the door and there was this sweet little black boy just looking at me he reached his hands up to me and I scream and shut the door because I wasn't sure what's happening um and I didn't know how to you know make sense of it and then I kept dreaming of them I became more fond of these two spirits um and sometimes in my dreams with them they would take me down to like a basement or it was a dirt basement there was a ladder to go down uh, and there was a dirt basement. It was pretty dark. Um, there was really nothing in it. So I couldn't quite make out what that meant. But they kept trying to show it to me a few times in a few different dreams. Um, and later I figured that out. And I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but then I had this one dream about the woman that was really profound. I was in bed. And I always slept with a fan on. Uh, and at this point, it was in my window. It must have been summertime, be just to drown out the city noise. And it just helped me sleep better. So my fan was always running through the night. And um, I was in the dream, I was in bed. And she was standing over me uh, next to my bed. And she was just looking at me lovingly. And she reached out her hand. And I reached up my hand and touched her hand. And I looked at her and I said, but you're dead. How come I can feel you like you feel so real, but I know that you're dead. And I couldn't, my brain just couldn't quite process that. And she just smiled at me. And then when I woke up, 
my fan had stopped and there was this, this sort of eerie dead silence in my room so much so that I sat up and kind of was disheveled by the silence and as I was doing that you know a few seconds later my fan just kind of like kicked back on and started again and I was so so shocked um I woke up and I went to my mother's room or I got up and I went to my mother's room and I woke I said mom mom wake up I just had this crazy dream and of course my mother was difficult to wake up so she was like probably half sleeping half awake when she responded to me and I I said mom all the electricity in my room just like stopped and I tried to explain to her and she rolled over and she said oh Diana you were just on the other side it's not a big deal (laughs) I like I kind of froze you know looking at her like what what are you talking about even half asleep my mother can pinpoint um what's going on and it's possible she was right that I was in this sort of cross place and that's why I could feel this woman's hand really interesting stuff so lastly um, one of the last parts of the story is a dream about another spirit that lived in the front part of the house that I was definitely more uncomfortable with. And what was interesting is the beginning of this dream, I opened a curtain in my room and in doing so, I like essentially opened a door to allow some, a spirit in to speak to me. Um, and I had this sweet little cat at the time. Kitty Woo is what I called her, and she was like a like an owl energy, very protective of me, and was uh, typically in my dreams with me uh, whenever this would occur. And so she was in this dream. And after I opened the curtain, I heard our front door creak open, and I immediately was uncomfortable. And I watched my cat slowly make her way out of my room towards the front door first to essentially make sure the coast was clear, that it was okay for me to come out. And so I followed her out, and when I got out to the living room, there was a man in my living room who had come through the front door, and he was very old. He had disheveled white hair. He was a white man. He looked very upset, and he was pacing around my living room, and I waited. I was nervous. I was uncomfortable, and I didn't say anything, and he started talking, and he said, she can't see me anymore. She can't hear me anymore we can't talk anymore. And he was talking about a young girl um, who lived in a different part of the house. And he was really upset that she could no longer communicate. And this, you know, this was really important to him. And so I remember just kind of trying to keep myself together in the dream. And I said, well, you know, that happens naturally to people who are in the waking life as they grow older. Sometimes it's harder for them to communicate and it's okay. And he was still disheveled, but had like a sense of a little bit of calm come over him. He just needed to hear that, I guess. And he made his way out the door. And I remember walking over to my living room window and watching him walk up the driveway and back towards the front of the house. And I was just absolutely covered in chills by his presence. And when I woke up, I said, that's it. I'm going to talk to my landlord. (laughs) But I have to do this in a way that's not super crazy, right? So I, um, 
asked my landlord, I said, hey, is there, you know, anything historical or interesting or like unique about this house that you know about? Because, you know, I I was just really curious. And he goes, oh, yeah, I really want to show you something. So he brought me into the garage, which was just underneath my apartment. And um, he moved a bunch of stuff to the side. And there was and it was all cement. It was like, so there was really no basement or no evidence of any basement but he moved a bunch of stuff aside and there was these wooden planks kind of lined up and he opened it up and I'll never forget it because there was the ladder that I saw in my dreams and there was the dirt cellar floor and he looked up at me and he said this was a big part of the underground railroad way back when and it still goes through the city and he was telling me all about it and I just remember Standing there feeling like, okay, this is real. These are my experiences. They're valid. And this is proof right in front of me. I have seen this room in my dreams and I've been shown it. Um, Super interesting. (laughs) I was so young. Um, But when you can tune into a place and its history and maybe if the spirits are still there, you know, there's a lot of information you can gather. Um, And so that was the last experience I had before I moved to Vermont. Um, I have to say it's been a little quieter in Vermont than in the big city (laughs) where I grew up in and where there's a lot of people. Um, And I really appreciate that in the few apartments I've lived in Vermont. Um, you know, like the woman who visited me with the candles, just those little, little moments, um, came to be. So what I'm going to do now is take a short break and I'm going to take, run to the bathroom and I'm going to come back and I'm going to dip into helping spirits cross over and the experiences I've had there, what that means and some of the boundaries around that. Um, I think it's important, especially nowadays in the spiritual community where there's a lot of um, things that happen that I just inherently disagree with. Um, So I want to share what I've experienced just to sort of enlighten you and support you in any experiences you might have had. So I will be right back. Hey, everyone. I am back, and let's get right into it. First, I want to mention another um, world-renowned spiritual teacher and psychic medium and author um, who I grew up uh, listening to, and then I read a lot of her books, and uh, her work really also supported who I am and what I do and really helped me connect a lot of dots and and fill missing um, spaces up in my mind I really resonated with a lot of her work and her name was Sylvia Brown Um, she was really unique person uh, really down-to-earth she did a lot of lectures and teachings she did so many uh, live readings on a lot of um, live TV shows when I was young so uh, like the Montel Williams show Unsolved Mysteries, um, The Morning Show with Mike and Juliet. Uh, She did a lot of interviews and did a lot of readings right there with the audience. Um, And she might have been like the first psychic medium that was really widely televised. I feel like there's a lot more of that now, but there wasn't at at the time. Um, 
you know, in the early 90s and things like that. So um, the first book I read by her was called um, Visits from the Afterlife. And it's absolutely one of my favorite books that she's written. It goes into such depth um, about visiting, having, you know, all these experiences I'm sharing with you now, you know, these visits, what they mean, why they happen, how you can understand them a bit more. Um, she shares her own experiences. She shares, you know, other people write to her a lot. So she shares a lot of other people's experiences. Um, and even though her and I, you know, differ in some ways around religious views or spirituality, it really doesn't matter. Um, her work and, and her writings and her books uh, resonated with me so deeply, even as a young teenager. Um, I really feel like she single-handedly answered a lot of my unanswered questions as a child or a young, uh, young woman. And uh, she also wrote a book on dreams, which is really wonderful. Um, she also wrote a book called All Pets Go to Heaven, which is really sweet. Um, talking about, you know, how our pets, you know, animals cross over immediately. There's no, um, they're not like humans. I feel like people are more complex and um, they can get traumatized or stuck or held, or confused, um, but animals don't do this. Uh, they're very powerful creatures on the planet. All of them are, the wild and the domestic. Um, we have a lot to learn from them still. So I just wanted to offer Sylvia to you. I'll, again, I'll put links in the show notes. She's a really powerful psychic medium um, and has shared so much of her own research with the world. So sometimes when it comes to helping spirits cross over, this can be really simple, as simple as a dream. Um, yeah, I had one experience where it was very random. Uh, in the dream, I was in bed and I woke, I sat up a little bit because I felt a presence. There was a, you know, younger you know, man in his 30s, like crouched down next to my bed in the corner uh, with like a light complexion. And um, he looked really upset. And actually, what woke me up is I felt a hand reach from the side of my bed and grab my arm. That's what woke me up. And I, I sat up in the dream, like, what the heck? And there was this guy and he looked really upset. And I again waited. I always wait. They always talk first, and um, he started to tell me about a window that he tried to get out of. I don't think he could get out of the window, so immediately in the dream, I felt like I knew it was a house fire, um, and I don't know. I think maybe he was lost. Uh, I don't know if there's uh, some sort of frequency attraction uh, to me, and the spirits know who to go to. Um, I'm certainly not the only one in the living world right now that's absolutely capable of this. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by these little details, too. I wish I knew more. Um, I don't know how he ended up in my dream, <laughs> is what I'm saying. But um, I spoke to him, and I stayed really calm. I actually wasn't nervous, because um, this is more recent in my life, and 
I've, I've grown to not be afraid of these things. And um, I was able to speak to him in a calm way that really shifted the energy that he was giving off. Um, and then he was gone. So when things like that happen, I have high hopes that just a simple conversation and some support, just like you would with someone in the waking life, can really offer them a big shift and carry them into a better place. Um, and then that can go all the way to being in the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> um, and I've had some really in-depth experiences with being in the right place at the right time um, and having a young person pass on from a very tragic untimely accident um, and I was only connected this, to this person through a friend. I didn't actually know this person very well um, in life and um, it was a very tragic traumatic death and I started dreaming of him and he was dark looking and that doesn't mean dangerous you know it just means and I find that when I see spirits who are confused or maybe stuck, that they look dark. It doesn't mean that they're dark or, you know what I mean? It's hard to describe it uh, completely, but, um, and so I had a few of those dreams and then I had an opportunity to enter the place where he lived. Um, I was helping my friend and helping clean up the apartment and pack up this person's things who had passed away. I was like the only person available, the only person who could handle it or manage it. I was just, you know, um, enough steps away to be able to walk in and, and do what needed to be done. Um, and there was something again, really drawing me really strong. I was very certain and sure of what I was doing. And so I went ahead and, um, I went in the apartment and I immediately knew he was there. Um, I started cleaning and doing some things, but it got stronger and stronger, and I opened the door to his bedroom, and it was even thicker in the air. It was so potent. I could smell it. Um, and I said out loud, I know you can hear me, and I know that you're right here, but you can't stay here. This place isn't, isn't a healthy place to stay. And that you, we need you to go back to the light. We need you to cross into the place you're meant to be now. Um, and I did that a lot. Um, and then I felt a lot of grief move through me. I remember tying up the trash and sobbing uncontrollably. I was very intertwined in what was going on, even though I didn't know this person. Um, and he stayed with me for a while. And I was okay with that. I knew that um, this wasn't an invasive thing and that it was okay, that I had a full intuitive green light, that whatever was, you know, supposed to happen was supposed to happen for the highest healing. And that's exactly what happened. Um, he stayed with me for a while, a few days, maybe a week. Um, he tried to come into my dreams, but I was really emotional. Um, and I think, again, I think it's difficult for our loved ones to come through when we're trying to process so much. It's, it's just difficult for that to happen. Um, so that didn't work very well. And then 
one day I dreamt that I was in my office at work and I was watching him walk away from the building. And I knew that that symbolism of seeing that was he was he was getting ready to go or he was going. Um, and he did. And um, it was a beautiful, beautiful, powerful experience uh, to be able to help um, someone I didn't know um, who I came to love very deeply. Um, he's a very dear friend and an angel in my life now. Um, to be able to do that is such a deep honor. And I think holding an incredible amount of sacredness and respect towards each other, whether we're in life or in spirit, is essential. If we don't have that, we're going to step on toes, we're going to stumble, things might go wrong, right? We all kind of, I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but I mentioned that too, because I, I think there's a, sometimes I've experienced a sense in people where they go, oh, there's spirits in my house, they need to be removed immediately, send someone in, let's remove them. But you don't know why they're there. You know, they might have chosen to be there. They might actually have permission to be there, which I didn't realize could happen until more recently in my life, where I live now in my home, there are spirits here that actually have permission to be here. I do not have the right to remove them. You know what I mean? I am not above the spirit world. <laughs> um, I'm a fellow spirit, I'm, and I'm also human. So, you know, there are absolutely cases where that support is necessary, and spirits do need help crossing over we've a lot of us have had these experiences and just need to have a conversation or they need to see you they need to know that they're they're seen or heard they need to know what to do and that's all it takes it's just loving compassionate support um and in that case you know you want to be respectful in every way so um for me, I, it hasn't really been about tools. It's been about my energy, my love, my compassion, and my voice. And in those moments, I step forward and I use that and only that to support. Um, and actually, I was young then with this experience. So today I might walk in with, you know, a big crystal around my neck or some things around me to support me. But at that time, I, I didn't. I just knew that I was meant, I felt the pull, I felt the call, I knew it was meant for me. Um, so it's really important also to be in tune and in touch with your body and your sensations and your intuition and what feels like a green light and what feels like a yellow light, what feels like a no red light. That's super, super important. The more you practice communicating with your body, uh, the better you're going to be at that. Um, and so coming to more recent times, my house, uh, where I run a business on education around transformative herbalism and healing, energy medicine, um, and a lot of multidimensional things that I do. When I first... I mean, first of all, when I was in elementary school in an art class, 
it was late elementary school or middle school, I feel like I was in the sixth grade actually, I drew a picture of a farmhouse with a front porch, a small driveway, a stream that ran across one side of it and down across the street down the front, and a big, huge, old maple tree next to the house nearby. And some yard and just, you know, a sweet little drawing. Um, and why that comes to mind is because that's the exact description of my house <laughs> that I'm in now. And I'll never forget the moment I put the two, those two together. Um, you know, that how did I know that? How did I, I'm, did I manifest that? Um, did I create that by talking to the universe in my drawing or, you know, when you journal or you write a list of the things you're looking for that you want, you draw a picture of something that you, you know, you have a dream about that is a goal in your life. You're communicating with the universe. So in the communication, you're saying, this is what I love, want, and need, and deserve, right? It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, safe place. And the universe says, well, okay. <laughs> and it happens. So, um... I'm here in that beautiful place. And when I first stepped onto this property, I was completely stunned for various reasons, but mostly there, and I would come back and keep coming back weekly or every other week um, to visit my now husband who lived here about a year or so before I did. And I kept noticing this incredibly strong feminine energy that I just could not put my finger on. It was so strong. I'd never been to a place where I felt like, feminine energy and only feminine energy like really really um it was so big and I thought what is this um this is the only place I've ever lived where I don't see the spirits I've seen spirits that have come to visit me my grandfather has come some of my friends who have passed on have showed up um some of my husband's family members have made a little bit of a hello um and shown me things but that's separate from the house, right? So there are many spirits that are actually here. Um, but I've never been able to see them. So I've had to have a friend of mine come from spirited places. She's in one of my first two episodes of this podcast, Sarah Young. And she's also a very um, powerful, clairvoyant and psychic medium. And she sees things really clearly. And so whenever I don't, I know who to call. <laughs> And so she came over alongside one of my aunts separately, um, who came at different times, but gave me the same exact information, which was so fun. And I loved it so much because I knew that, you know, that's all, that's a solid foundation for what's happening here. And both my aunt and Sarah, um, saw this group of women that were here. Some, a few of them are here all the time. The rest of them come and go. Um, one in particular has permission to be here, and she's lived here in two past lives um, and loved it so much. She has such a deep love for this place that she asked to stay. So she's here with me. Um, but there's 12 of them total, and they all have different purposes, and they all have different skill sets. And um, they co-create with me. So I do feel like they knew I was coming quickly after I moved here I became pregnant with my second child and they were very much here with me during the birth of my daughter um, 
my aunt called me up to check on me while I was uh, giving birth and she said all the ladies are here they're with you I can see them and everything's going to be wonderful and it was she's right it was a good experience um but they're a big part of what I do at Mountain Hollow they're a big part of the creation of what I created here um I remember when my husband and I were building our yurt that we have, which is a sacred healing space, but also a classroom space, and we were wondering why. Um, we, didn't, we didn't quite know why yet, um, but that came after we built it. Um, and it's in a co-creation with all of the spirits here that makes what I do and how this land feels and the energy here so much more powerful than it would be if they weren't here. Um, so I have a beautiful, um, image of the 12 women and myself in the center of the circle <laughs> of women that Sarah drew for me that you can find on her website at spiritedplaces.com. I think it's .com or .net. Anyway, I'll link it in the show notes, um, where you can actually see them and she drew their unique clothing and the differences between them. I mean, it's just phenomenal. Um. But I haven't seen them, which is a really new thing for me. I've only had experiences with physical objects, which is also a new thing for me. I had bought a nice black summer dress a couple years ago. I just bought it. I'd only wore it once and I had put it uh, in the laundry room because I was going to wash it and then hang it to dry and it disappeared. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, I went through everything. I went through all of our laundry. I went through everyone's closet. I went through all of our drawers. I cleaned house to try to find this dress and it was nowhere to be found. And I could not fathom. I had hung it on the door in the laundry room and somehow it had gone. No one in the house knew what I was talking about or where it was. Um, and I just couldn't figure it out. Weeks went by and I was so sad because I loved this new dress. It was so comfortable. It fit me just right. And it was gone. And then one day I woke up in the morning and I was going to just get out of bed and put a sweater on or something. And I opened the bottom drawer to my dresser. And just to precursor this, I'm not a good folder. I do lots of laundry in this house for my family. But folding is not one of my skills. <laughs> and there are women I know that fold in the most incredible way. It's like meticulous uh, folding. That's not me. And I opened that bottom drawer and there was my dress. And it was folded in that meticulous, perfect way. And I knew immediately that it had been returned by one of the spirits in the house. It was not... <laughs> It's not a human thing or a waking thing. So I um, reached out to one of my aunts who's really good at seeing things from a distance clairvoyantly. She can really tap into something and see exactly what's going on and has always been a helpful support to me that I'm so grateful for in these kinds of instances and others. And um, right away she said, oh, it was one of the women. She knew which one and she described her to me and I looked at the picture and I went, oh yeah, I see her. Um, I looked at Sarah's drawing rather and I said, yeah, I see which one you're talking about. And then she said she borrowed the dress because she loves the garden so much and she was feeling the energy of the garden 
in my dress and the essence of the garden is what she said. Um, because for some reason, some of them don't leave the house and I don't know why they can't leave the house and move around the property. Um, but I thought that was really sweet. And then she returned it. Um, so I still have the dress and, um, but that's the only experiences I've had besides having clients on my table while I'm working on them and telling me they feel another set of hands on them um, or they sense something else in the room and there usually always is um, but it's amazing to me that there's so much here but it's so quiet for me and there must be a purpose for that or there must be a reason um, so that's the story of this beautiful house that I'm living in and the spirits here who co-create with me for my business on healing and energy medicine. Lastly, I want to talk about a story uh, about an ancestor who visited me that has to do with the ancestry on my grandfather's uh, paternal line that I was speaking about earlier in this episode. This is more recent. This happened last year during uh, the pandemic. And what's interesting about this, too, is that it's connected to the 1918 pandemic. I believe I'm saying the flu pandemic, the correct year. Um, I find that a connection or opening is what I want to say intuitively between the two pandemics is apparent. Uh, our ancestors that passed on in the flu pandemic are somehow connecting to us or t like trying to communicate with us during this current pandemic. Um, this is still new to me, so I'm still percolating all this, but really, really fascinating stuff. So I'm going to share um, the few dreams leading up to this incredible awakening and enlightening of this ancestral line for me in particular with who I am and what I do. Um, this experience is really profound and has been so important to me. I hold it very close to my heart and have added a photograph that um, I was able to obtain of this particular ancestor right on my ancestor altar that contains my great-grandfather and his wife that I spoke about at the age of three, my grandfather that I've talked about so much in this podcast, my grandmother who passed away, uh, her mother-in-law, my grandfather's mother, who I admire. I don't know her well at all, but she's always, um, I feel like she's watching over me. And then um, my great, great grandfather is now uh, on my ancestor altar and that is who I've connected with in this dream I'm about to share. I call these visitation dreams and why I call them that is because it's an actual visit from a loved one or an ancestor from the other side and how you know this is the lucidity of it. It feels so real it's uncanny and you just can't you can't disagree with yourself that it was real that's how you know. You remember it you can recall it easily uh, you can't forget it it's etched in your spirit forever, right? Because it was just such an incredible experience. And that's how you know. Um, 
Regular dreams that don't have a lot of meaning or subconscious projections of things that you picked up during the day, something you're worried about, something that's stressing you out, they don't make a ton of sense and they typically are stressful feeling. That's the feeling you get in. That's how you know that your subconscious is kind of spitting out stuff it doesn't want you to carry. Like, you know, look at this, take this, deal with this now so you don't carry this forward. So getting into the story. I have had wolves with me my entire life in the dream world. They have a very strong presence. They revisit me quite often, especially during pivotal moments in my life. Um, You know, my first lucid dream of wolves, I was in in a bedroom I don't recognize even to this day. I was in a bed with blankets. I don't, I don't know where I was. And I sat up in bed. It was absolutely silent in the room. There was no other person with me. And there was this big sliding glass door uh, diagonally from the bed. And just beyond the sliding glass door were these two giant gray whitish wolves. They were absolutely stunning in so many ways. I was totally awestruck and I got out of bed. I wanted to be with them so badly, but I knew that that glass door was there for an important reason, so I obeyed that door and didn't open it. And I got down on my knees on the other side of the door and just stared at them, and they stared at me. And there was such a powerful energy between us. It filled up my whole body and my whole heart, and I'll never forget that dream. It comes back to me often. I still wonder to this day if there's if that was like a foresight and I might actually have that experience in the future. What amazing, <laughs> how amazing that would be, right? So they've come and come and come. And when I was pregnant with my daughter Amara, I had a dream. I was walking through the forest here behind where I live and I had on a big kind of black furry coat. I was very pregnant. My belly was big and All of a sudden in the forest, I knew I wasn't alone and I was slightly unnerved and all of a sudden there was a pack of wolves and they were making a circle around me and I was a little unnerved. I wasn't sure what was happening and because I felt that way, I opened up my jacket and exposed my pregnant belly and I got down on my knees and I showed them my belly and it was a, what it, why I was doing that was to show them that I was vulnerable and I needed them to protect me versus being attacked, right? Um, Not that they ever would, but I just wasn't sure. But they were really still, and they didn't respond, they didn't react, and I just sat there with my belly exposed, and out of nowhere comes this big black wolf, and he squeezed his way through the circle of wolves and came right up to me. And he was big and he was old and he spoke to me in a deep male voice. And I remember in the dream, I could not believe that this wolf was speaking English to me. He was speaking things that were incredibly important uh, that I was supposed to understand and know. Unfortunately, it's stored in my subconscious and consciously I don't know what he said. And I I wish that I could recall all of it. but it wasn't meant for that. It's meant to be in my subconscious and that's okay. Um, really, really powerful dream. Incredibly lucid. He spoke to me very strongly. It was very important. And that was the end of it. And I'll never, ever forget that. Um, 
it felt like a blessing. It felt like protection. It felt like there was something important coming into my life. It was some kind of initiation, some kind of conversation around that. And so recently, um, going forward during this last pandemic, I dreamt of the black wolf again. He came forward and he spoke to me again, but he was speaking in a language I'd never heard before. It was really intricate. It was really beautiful. I didn't know how to make it out. And of course, I was awestruck again by this incredibly gorgeous black wolf speaking to me. I, you know, full felt so much honor through my whole body. It's like I could, couldn't move in the dream. And as I was coming to waking, I heard the word Gaelic, Gaelic, Gaelic. And I sat up in bed and I said it out loud. I said, Gaelic. I didn't even know what that was. And considering my ancestral lineage, this seems so silly now. (laughs) So I got out of bed. I recorded the dream, shared it with some of my friends that are supportive of my dream work. And I started doing research and I looked up the language um, where it comes from, which of course is a big part of my Scottish uh, lineage. Um, And started connecting the dots and just kept my research going. A couple weeks later, maybe even a month later, um, I was in bed on my phone watching a Facebook Live of a prominent psychic medium that lives in northern Vermont, I think still, um, who was starting this all these new Facebook Lives that were pretty interesting and I was enjoying watching. That night I went to bed and um, my subconscious used this projection of the image of her to communicate with me okay so in the dream there's the psychic medium looking at me through the video I was watching before I went to sleep and she said Diana and I went what (laughs) she said your great great grandfather is trying to contact you are you listening and I said sure I'm listening and all of a sudden the dream switched to a room a darkish room with like an oil lamp or candles. There was a man in a bed. He was the only one in the room. He had a white shirt on, long sleeve, and there were brown wool blankets. The room was like made out of wood, um, like an old farmhouse or something. And he was in bed sick, and I was watching him. And this didn't last very long. I watched him take his last breath, and he was gurgling. It sounded like he was suffocating. And I woke up and I went, oh my God. And so I contacted a cousin of mine who has been deep into ancestry. And I said, can you go back? Do you have access to the death certificate of our great-great-grandfather on our grandfather's line? Um, Does Ancestry.com give you that? He said, I think so. I'm going to go check. And so he did. He texted me back and he said, I found it. He died from pneumonia in the flu pandemic in October or something in 1918. And I went, oh my God, okay, um, who is this person? And what is the purpose? You know, what am I supposed to do with this? So I dug a little deeper. Um, That line, I think just two men before him, his father and his grandfather came from Scotland, from the Scottish... Highlander clan um, that I mentioned earlier and um, where I found out along with my research was that there was a time 
quite a ways back in Scotland where there was a settlement of people who came from another, you know, land not too, too far away that claimed they were descendants of wolves. So their actual bloodline um, was from wolves. And, of course, if you look back into Scottish history, there's so much incredible magic and folklore there. Uh, there's a lot of, there were a lot of witches and shamans. Um, the witch trials there were some of the most horrid in, in, in history because they did not have fair trials um, like England and other places did. Um, so you were accused and you were done. There was no one there to speak for you. Um, so there's a lot of amazing uh, magical DNA, I'll just say that, and um, ancestral magic that has moved through that line. Um, and I realized that the wolves in my life have come from that line as well. Um, and they are really important. And that's why the wolf came and was speaking to me in Gaelic and sort of preparing me for going back into that part of my lineage and connecting with my ancestor, Joseph. Um, and so what I did with the information from that particular dream with him and his death was um, use the tool I have with Reiki, which is distance Reiki and combine some of my other energy medicine in that distant Reiki as well. So I use some other big tools. And with distance Reiki, you can send healing to any place at any time to anyone. Okay. And you want to, you want to always never impose. Okay. You want permission. And if you don't have permission and someone else asks you to send, then you say, if it's not needed, send it to the earth or something like that. So you can redirect um, but in this case, I felt like the, you know, his communication and seeing his death was a call out to send healing to that moment of time where it's kind of a traumatic death for him. And so that's what I did. I hope it worked. <laughs> I may never know. Um, but I've never felt closer to that Scottish lineage of mine than I do now. And there's a lot of uh, question, unanswered questions that are now being answered, um, going deeper into that lineage for me and explaining my, my dream work, my psychic abilities, um, my unique abilities and skills and what I offer to the world. So this kind of work as I've grown into an adult has become really important and really powerful for me. Um, and in the present day, I've shifted into working and communicating with the more earthly realms too, in the green world and plants and helping others heal through teaching them how to communicate and exchange energy with plants too. Um, and in doing so, they have their own therapeutic experiences um, that I just am sort of there to support and guide them through and letting, let the plants do their work. Um, and that comes back into green witchery um, and paganism and druidry and um, witchcraft that I am just now like learning to step forward in and that this is who I am. And it always has been. When I was a kid in school, 
um, being called a witch was something I was called. And to this day, I don't really know why, because it's not like I was open about what I was experiencing in my, it was quite private. Um, so that always came up for me. Um, and I think back on how it felt when I was called that name and how um, uncomfortable it made me and how unsure I was of it. I have been so far removed from the practice um, that is such a deep part of who I am that I was afraid of it. And I think that's a really important thing for us all to think about, you know, how far removed are we from our ancestral knowledge, our magic and wisdom and power, or all of the different cultures around the world and what they can offer in all of their uniqueness to healing in the world and healing spiritually. Because um, whenever we're far removed from something and we just don't know or understand something, we tend to fear it. And uh, that can become dangerous and destructive. So it's been really important for me um, to share all of these stories uh, for you. And again, this is just a little snippet into my into my life that is so rich. And I really hope to write a book one day, to be honest, about all of these experiences and how they've led me to the place I am now uh, and working with plants in particular and building better boundaries and navigating uh, my my abilities uh, and visitations in a more healthy way. So I'm not being zapped or I'm not tired, you know, I don't get headaches or I'm not drained, things like that. And I can work on and with people and feel empowered instead of tired, right? Plants are a really important support system for this very thing. And working with poisonous plants, energetically speaking, not physically and not ingesting, has been one of the most powerful um, boundary supports I've ever experienced. Um, and that began three years ago when I had um, an event on my property that was very traumatic, very violating, and very extreme, considering, you know, a lot of events that could possibly happen on your land. This one was just an extreme one super traumatic uh, to my entire body and I just happened to listen to a podcast afterwards who brought up boundaries and she actually said in the podcast how have you posted your land how have you created your boundaries with the energetic world and the and the world around you where are they and that was not coincidentally the point where I was grappling with posting my land or not posting my land and this is whole other topic in the state of Vermont that's really controversial and super stressful and very difficult. Um, but I realized that I had more work to do. And I started with poison ivy. There's no poison ivy where I live um, nearby. Uh, it is in some places. Maybe it's because it's cold up here, but also the land isn't super disturbed. Uh, poison ivy likes to grow in places where the land has been disturbed. Um, so it's not quite often you come across it where I live, um, but it is up here around certain riverbanks and lakes and stuff, but not where I am. And so I thought this would be a good opportunity to test out uh, reaching out to the plant spirit of poison ivy and asking for boundary support. So I did a meditation and I sat down and went deep in and 
visualize the plant in my mind. I reached out and I asked the plant for support for energetic boundaries of myself, my body, my spirit, my land, and all the things I do. And within a week or two, I had poison ivy show up on my body. And I was working so hard to figure out how I had gotten it. You know, retracing my steps, I had no answers. And then it finally dawned on me that, of course, I had reached out to ask this plant for help. Of course, it showed up on my body because then it's in my bloodstream, right? Because you can, when you have poison ivy, you can, besides the obvious sensations you get, you feel a little off, like kind of like you're a little dreamy or kind of psychedelic. It's just, it's kind of a journey that you go through when you have poison ivy. And I was experiencing that and I thought, oh, it's in my blood. If it's in my body like this, it's in my energy field. And so it's doing its job. And as soon as I came to that acceptance, it started to dissipate from my skin. And it wasn't really a bad, um, I didn't have a bad case of it either. It was like right on my right arm and then up on my third eye and on my forehead, which was interesting. Um, and then in the, f in the few really dark experiences I've had with spirits more recently, um, where I've gone to a place, I've walked into a place that I've never been before and I wasn't like protected. I just didn't think about it. I was going to do something fun. So I just wasn't, I didn't prepare myself to leave the house, which is something we should all do if you're, uh, if you resonate with me, if you're, you know, an empath, a sensitive or medium. Um, and I hadn't done that. And I walked into this space and got really zapped and I wasn't sure what had happened in the moment, but that night I dreamt of a really dark spirit, a man who had done horrible things. I don't know when, and I don't know how it doesn't matter. And he was walking towards me in that place where I had gone to visit and he was trying to put his hand over my mouth and I could see uh, the boundary of my energy field is like a white film around my body and he was about to reach through he'd got his fingers through the boundary of my energy field and I poison ivy showed up and I put I reached up and I put poison ivy in his hand and he backed away he looked really uncomfortable and backed away. And that was really phenomenal to me that there's that much power in these poisonous plants. And this is how my loving relationship to poisonous plants began. Again, energetically speaking, <laughs> we always need to be safe with poisonous plants, okay? But with energy work, they can be a super potent ally. And so... Yes, I got zapped a bit by that spirit, but who knows what that poison ivy saved me from. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's been a really powerful lesson in my life as an energy worker and a practitioner to in, in taking plants inward and bringing them to me and creating a relationship and co-creating an allyship with them to support me in what it is that I do and who it is that I am. Um, so just like with the, with our natural weeds like dandelion and burdock and stuff, don't hate the, don't hate the plants that might seem like a nuisance, right? They have their methods and ways for very important reasons. 
Uh, if there's poisonous plants that burn or give you rashes on the land, it's because you're not supposed to be there. That plant is asking you to get off the land. It's trying to do something. It's trying to regenerate the soil probably or balance something that's imbalanced. There's something going on that's not giving you permission to be there. So lessons, lessons, lessons from the plants are endless. So this was a super long podcast <laughs> and I hope that's okay. There's so much for me to say. Um, my intention is to have some spooky fun here because, you know, All Hallows Eve is coming, but also to share real life experiences and how they're connected to my lineage um, and how it has helped me grow as a practitioner in my life and a teacher um, and how I've learned loving compassion in the spirit world that it's it's you know movies and horror movies really seed fear in so many of us and I've had to work with a lot of uh, student psychics who are terrified because they grew up watching these films that scared the heck out of them right well that isn't real that's not really how it works either um, I don't know humans make that up not not the spirit world right so um, just to shift our mindset around you know the way we can connect with each other the way we can help each other and support each other and respect each other in life and in spirit um, and through the veil and also open up a bit more and take steps forward in our abilities um, as people who have psychic ability or our dreamers or our clairvoyant in the daytime or pick up on information it's okay it's that's your unique power that is meant to guide you through this life and help other people so refining and tuning that ability is essential for your community our community as a whole our collective as a whole so I just want to wish you all a beautiful Witch's New Year, an incredible Samhain, and All Hallows Eve, and may you begin to build your ancestor altars if you haven't already. May you adorn them with flowers and dried flowers and crystals and love, and just sit for a moment in gratitude for who you are and all of the people and spirits before you and around you who have weaved all of the parts of you together to make you so unique and so beautiful and so important to this place that we're in in this now moment. <laughs> so sending you off with lots of love and I hope you all have a magical time and are doing well in these in this kind of intense world that we're living in and loving each other more than ever. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Dreaming in the Hollow podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes to learn how to connect to our wonderful guests of the podcast, as well as find additional relevant resources on the topics we discuss. Learn more about what I do at Mountain Hollow Medicinals here in Craftsbury, Vermont, 
at mountainhollowmedicinals.com. Here at Mountain Hollow, we offer Reiki certifications, one-on-one healing sessions, mindset coaching, an herbal apothecary filled with magic, and wonderful products to support you on your journey. To support this podcast, uh, please leave a review, subscribe, or leave a rating on whatever podcast platform that you tune into, whether it be Apple or Spotify or any of the others. We welcome testimonials as well. And if not, no worries, just enjoy the podcast. And we're so happy to share these amazing discussions with you in hopes to empower you to have more options and access to things to make healthier decisions for your mental health and physical health and spiritual health. Thank you so much for tuning in. Love to you all.